The Money Show. The Big Issue. Well, when Chris Becker came back from his sabbatical in 2008, Nuspat was trading at about 160 rand a share. Today, it traded about eight times higher than that, very nearly 1,300 rand a share. He announced at the weekend that he is stepping down and he'll take a year out to explore the landscape before returning as chairman. Now, Chris Becker joins me on the line this evening on The Money Show. It's six years since you last did this, Chris Becker, where you took time out and you went and explored the world. Are you planning to do the same trip again, or has the world moved on in the last six years? <laughs> Bruce, the world has no doubt moved on, but... Uh it would be delightful to see a new, few new places. Well, the, the last time you went, you went to South Korea, you went to China. Uh, are, you, are you retracing any of those steps at all, or are you going to be looking at virgin territory? Bruce, there's several interesting places in the world. To, to give you one example, I studied at Columbia University in New York, and in the early 80s, when I was there, that was the center of the media world anywhere on the globe. Then they completely fell out of, the, out of the bus with the Internet. They made no contribution at all. And then in the last two years, New York sort of revived as an Internet center, especially for services that don't rely on heavy engineering, more social type of services. So I'd like to explore why that happened. Uh, what's interesting is Korea, where uh, so many of our electronic games are developed, than a place like Bangalore in India with so many bright engineers. In Europe, interestingly, the center of the Internet is increasingly Berlin, which uh, you may well ask, why not London or Paris? Why not London or Paris? (laughs) Well, that's speculation. The first one is Paris is a bit of a, from the Internet's perspective, a desert. The French try to isolate them from the world, and they're succeeding increasingly, and no one wants to set up shop. London is becoming more cosmopolitan, so it's becoming more exciting than it used to be. The weakness is engineering. You know, Oxford and Cambridge produced wonderful historians and social scientists, and I think they neglected the engineering part of it. And so the focus is on Berlin. So you're giving us some clues as to where your focus might be. When you look at the evolution of the Internet space, though, over the last six years, you came back uh, from that trip. Your, your share was trading at 160 rand, according to my research anyway. You're now trading close to 1,300 rand a share. A lot of that has been driven out of China. Is it still yes. the hotbed of ingenuity and innovation? I think to some extent it is. What took place is that over the, that period, Chinese engineers get paid about 15 to 20% more every year. So the wage gap between a Chinese and an American engineer has narrowed mm. quite a lot. You know, when we started in China, they were paid a quarter of what a Silicon Valley engineer would uh, earn. It's now about 80%. So at the same time, the efficiency has improved. So Chinese engineer these days costs about the same as... Um, typical Western engineer, and is almost as efficient. Um, So there's definitely been a shift. The Chinese people think they're good copiers, and so they are. But they're also increasingly inventing things. China is registering more patents than, I think, any country in the world except the U.S. at the moment. So there's a lot of stuff still going on in China. Is that a focus for NASPAR? Yes, I love China. You know... (laughs) I like the culture. I like to bicycle among villages and go to have um, a bite with a farmer family. It's something in the culture that really intrigues me. 
uh, they're interesting. Eastern Europe is also interesting because of the, um, the quality of schooling. There's a mathematical tradition in Russia, Bulgaria, Romania, and so on, which we don't have. And the basis of good coding, or the basis of the Internet is coding, and the basis of coding is maths. So if you have a kid that's proficient at maths at school, he could well decide to become an engineer and become interesting to us. The tragedy in South Africa is actually the poverty of our schooling system, and particularly the mathematical side, the quantitative side, is particularly weak, and I think that hobbles us on the Internet. Now, Bob van Dijk, your successor, um, you hired him six months ago to run a business of yours called Allegro. Have you had a look at his metric certificate to make sure he scored highly in maths? <laughs> Bob is quite a bright guy. He studied at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, and he, was on the, he did a cum laude you know, degree, and then he was at INSEAD in France, and he was on the dean's list, so he's quite a smart cookie. He ran the biggest e-commerce business in Europe, which is eBay's German division, and he was a senior guy at Shipstead, where the world leaders in classifieds. So he's got the two skills we really need at this stage, the type of sites that look like Amazon and the sites that look like uh, Craig's List or uh, OLX classifies. Uh, and so here's Bob van Dijk, who is based in Europe. Does he stay in Europe? Because the future of the Naspers business, the way in which you describe it, is a distinctly northern hemisphere feel to it. Uh, Bruce, not so much northern hemispheres, rather our gravitational centers moved out of South Africa. So we have two businesses here, Media 24 with Rachel Jafter and Esmeri Vaidemann in charge, and then multi-choice Manolo Lechel as the chief and Imtiaz Patel as the CEO. And that remains exactly as it is. But for the rest, we're actually quite a nomadic lot. Um, we have executives living in Sao, Sao Paulo or in um, Hong Kong or in Vancouver, and when we call a meeting, let's say in Buenos Aires, we expect them to turn up. Now, where they fly from is more or less their business. So increasingly we're saying, if you're on the web all day, I mean, who really cares where you answer your emails from? You might as well pick the nicest home, you know, given your cultural choices, and then let's see if we can accommodate that. So Bob will stay in Holland. He's married to a Norwegian lady, a financial executive two small daughters and I think you'll visit South Africa I don't know five times a year when you, you look at the recent deals in this particular space what's your reading of Facebook's acquisition of WhatsApp it's exceedingly expensive <laughs> but the difficulty is to guess where something might end you know to give you an example we've invested in some businesses that just faded you think it's a great idea we had a couple of social network businesses that looked like uh, Facebook and we had a great one in Southeast Asia. It just fizzles, and at some point it disappears like sand in your hand. And then you have something that keeps running and running. You have, in our example, Tencent or even multi-choice. You know, multi-choice used to be a four-hour-a-night single-channel service. Today, if you sit at the mine in Katanga, multi-choice gives you 60 channels 24 hours a day. Mm. So some services have that, the legs to extend and extend. So when you value something like WhatsApp, the cynic will look at that and say, 
it's hardly generating any revenue. I mean, how can you pay $19 billion for it? But the optimist would say, what could this become? And if I don't own it and it runs off and competes with me as Facebook, it might destroy me. So the jury's out. I think it'll take five years or so before we know whether that was a, a good purchase or a folly. But you're going out into the world where these multiples are being paid for these businesses, where we don't know whether or not it will be a folly or whether it'll be a startling success. And that must be somewhat intimidating five years after the, the, last, uh, the last sabbatical. <laughs> yes, and the problem is we've bought many a folly, you know, under my watch. The problem is when you look at a business, what they do today is not entirely instructive. You need to say, what's the quality of this team? What opposition are they facing? What technology might work for or against them? What sort of social trends can they surf? So sometimes the judgment is hard and you err. But what we as a group have tried to do is to, to try and try again. So we'll toss spaghetti on the wall and some will fail or sort of, you know, un get unstuck and fall on the floor and we'll take a ride down. But then you see a piece sticking, and then you say, okay, let's give it five more engineers, let's give it $10 million. And then eventually your success pays for five failures before. So Tencent was actually our fourth investment in China. The first three all collapsed, and one of them cost us $80 million. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty hard to determine in advance what will succeed. You can you know, exercise your best judgment, but in the end you've got to try, and when you fail, try again. Chris Becker, the outgoing chief executive, and in a year's time, the chairman of NASBATS. We look forward to keeping track of your adventures, Chris Becker. And if you've got a moment, we'd love to have you back on The Money Show. That's very kind of you. Thank you, Bruce. Professor Lizette Draber has been listening to that discussion. She's on the line to us from Somerset West this evening, media historian and professor of journalism at Stellenbosch University. You've been tasked, Lizette, with writing the 100-year history of NASBATS due in 2015, I think. That's right. Good evening, Bruce, first of all. Yes, um, listening to Chris, fascinating as always, and I must say, um, you know, um, also the fascinating history of, of what was a parochial press company evolving into a global giant. Take me back 99 years to the year 1915. Um, South Africa is in the midst of a Boer rebellion against Smuts and Boer's attempts to get South Africa into uh, World War One, And out of that comes Nationale Pars. You know, obviously it didn't, um, it wasn't found in, in a vacuum. There were other Dutch, Afrikaans, Dutch, Cape Dutch um, publications. But it was the whole thing after the, the, the Anglo-Boer War, first of all, keep that in mind, then the rebellion in 1914, then going into the, obviously, part of that rebellion issue, going into the, what became known as the First World War. So, so um, it was that um, Afrikaner nationalism, which was a, a huge idealism at the time, um, you know, to, to empower uh, what what one can describe today as an exclusive ethnic grouping, um, you know, empower them on a social, cultural, economic, and probably most importantly on a, as a political agent of empowerment for that specific grouping. And then, you know, evolving. And if one look at, at what um, people like Ari de Geest, 
the, the author you, from the Royal Dutch Shell who wrote about the Living Company, you know, that it's a, a learning organization, a living being, and one can look at Nasbash really as a living being, how it transformed itself every decade um, into something new, depending on on what the the impetus was in terms of technology, in terms of uh, political contexts, etc. So, so yes, 1914, 1915, really, you know, a tipping point for the Afrikaner as a nation. Uh, and then, Nasbas, you talk about it being a rapidly evolving company, a responsive company to technology. So we shouldn't really be surprised, looking at history, then, at this young guy called Chris Becker who's gone off to Columbia University in New York, who's done his MBA all about pay television, that Nasbas, at the time, in the 1990s, leaps on that as a media opportunity. Yeah. You know, one of the things one can say in hindsight of Nasbas is that it... In, in Afrikaans, they, they, they described it as wakere ondernemersmoed, which can be um, translated as vigilant entrepreneurial courage. And that was there right from the start. If you look at how they started out, almost penniless, um, yet they, they diversified very quickly after launching the first newspaper. The next year, they launched a magazine. Um, they bought an, another newspaper without almost a cent in the, in the bank. And then um, 1919, they published their first English book. 1922, uh, their first uh, book in, in a black language. So that diversification was there right from the beginning. And, and you know, um, really um, working in terms of, of what, what is the market. And, and then, you know, you, you get into the, the debate or the argument, what was first, the, the, the chicken or the egg? You know, was it... Was it idealism or was it capitalism? Was it was it um, profit or was it service? So, so not at all, you know, a surprise when Nasbash embraced the idea of of um, uh, pay for television in in the 1980s, because um, Ton Fosler at the time realised that newspapers they were in in a dead end. And he needed to, to really innovate. And here this idea came from a young Afrikaner guy studying in New York. And that idea was embraced. And obviously that put the company as a whole on, on the cusp of a new wave. And that is, you can see that time and again, um, during every decade, our NASPAS really embraced new technology, whether it was in the 1960s with with new um, printing techniques to, to make sure their products are really the best out there, or whether it was with ele- electronic media in the 1980s to really innovate every, in, in, in every cycle. Um, and if you look at, at all the other South African media companies, um, Naspars is the only survivor, in a sense. Um, so really, you know, it's, it's um, this company that, that keeps on evolving almost, you know, according to the Darwinian dictum of, of adapting to change. Uh, and also, Chris Becker not being too shy to admit that their early forays into places like China were quite disastrous. I mean, he was severely criticized for some of his more adventurous acquisitions, which ended up costing shareholders many billions, many, many millions of rand at the time. You know, also on, of course, a much smaller scale, right back to the first decades, um, other ventures 
which also didn't pay off. So, so it's it's really you know one can say is it is it the company's DNA <laughs> that you know um, it is part of this company trying new things out, and if if it looks as if it's a dead end, you know, chuck it out. Uh, and when you look at the the period that you've spent investigating this particular company, and you get a sense of of of, of its evolution. Um, are you excited for the future? What's your sense of the people you've been speaking to about the future of this company? You know, obviously, as a media historian, I looked at the past, but it's important to look at the past because we want to understand the present and look to the future and try and learn from the past. And if I look at the past, um, there must be, you know, a future for this company. It, it It's not for nothing that it's the only South African media company store surviving more or less in the way, you know, and under the same name as it as it was launched at a, almost 100 years ago. But it's a fundamentally different company. I mean, it's more of a, an e-commerce and gaming company now than a media company. Perhaps it's betrayed its roots, Lizette. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at what media made, um, what Nasper made money from right back in, in 1915, it was what was called jobbing. It was <laughs> printing. It was, it was um, you know, printing pamphlets and things like that. That was the day-to-day earnings um, to keep the dream alive. And um, maybe, hopefully, you know, through the e-jobbing, <laughs> what, you know, the, the e-commerce side, um, the dream can be kept alive in terms of, of serving the public through, through quality media. Professor Lizette Rabe, who's writing the book about, uh, about Naspers, thanks for joining us this evening. She's a media historian. She's professor of journalism at Stellenbosch University. And she's been tasked by Naspers to write the centenary book the centenary book for Naspers, 100 years of Naspers, founded in 1915, and a fundamentally different business today. The old-fashioned media assets make up a tiny, tiny proportion of earnings, of course, in the, uh, in the, in the global picture of things.